You're about to hear opinions that you may like. Then again, you might hear some that offend you. We don't apologize for that. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Every once in a while, we get challenged with a question, and I like to call these some of the the big thought-provoking questions uh, that maybe relate to public policy, relate to lifestyle, but first you have to get past the big question. And it's one you may not think of a lot. I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for staying with us on American Viewpoints. We've heard a lot about lately, and particularly in politics, about the overpopulation problem. And it's usually not framed in the way of overpopulation problem. It's framed in the terms of the amount of resources that are avail- available. But now we're being challenged with a question that says, what if there aren't enough people? There is a, a new book called Super Abundance, the story of population growth, innovation, and human flourishing on an infinitely bountiful planet. <laughs> so basically, do we not have enough people? That runs the counter to some narratives happening right now. And that book was uh, co-authored by uh, Marion Tupi, who is a senior fellow with the Cato Institute. And Marion, first of all, I appreciate you being on the program. Uh, you're probably get a lot of eyebrows raised when you say, no, we don't have an overpopulation problem. We have an underpopulation problem. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. Um, it very much depends on who you're talking to. Um, smart economists uh, understand that the total number of people matter matter for economic growth. In other words, the more people you have, the greater the GDP, and and most most importantly, the 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 the, the more innovation and inventions that you can produce. But that is not the general zeitgeist, the general sort of feeling out there. A lot of multinational organizations, including the United Nations, a lot of the center-left media is still wedded to the old notion is that more people you have, the worse it is for the world in general and the environment um, in particular. And we basically take an issue with this. We are saying that, yes, it is true that human beings produce a lot of problems in terms of when they are becoming richer. But we also produce a lot of solutions to those problems. And if you are encountering a problem, the only entity capable of solving those problems, the only entity capable of having an idea is still only the human being. And so the more people you have, the more problem solvers you have. Oftentimes when we talk about population, it is framed in a narrative of resources. Resources are finite. There there are so many to go around. The more people we have consuming resources, the sooner we run out, the sooner we do irreparable damage. What's the counter? What's the pushback against that narrative? I think a lot of people just assume is a fact and don't even question that narrative before we get to your question. Yeah. So in the book, Superabundance, what we find is that every 1% increase in population reduces prices of commodities by 1%. How is that possible? And uh, the reason why it's possible is that it is true that the world only has a finite number of atoms. But the knowledge, the knowledge that we apply to those atoms, combining them and recombining them, is infinite. In other words, from a finite number of atoms, we can get infinite value for our fellow human beings. Think about something as simple as a grain of sand. It's been on Earth for billions of years. And then about four and a half thousand years ago, people found out that by heating sand to 3,100 degrees Fahrenheit, they could produce glass. Uh, 
which they first used to produce glass beads, which they traded or wore as decorations. And then they started producing glass jars, which obviously has created some value. Now, later on, we used glass in order to create window panes. And today, throughout most of the developed world, most of our highest buildings are created of concrete and glass. They're just glass. They are huge windows, right? So with every step of the way, the value created from that grain of sand has increased. And of course, today, we are using glass in order to create fiber optic cables, which transfer information worth trillions of dollars around the world at a speed near the speed of light. So that shows you how something as simple as sand can be used in ever more value-added ways. And we have no idea what sand will be used for in 200 years or 2,000 years. But that shows you that the only thing that separates us from poverty uh, is human knowledge. The caveman had exactly the same resources that we have today. But the difference between his standard of living and our standard of living is knowledge. Is there... Any are any case to be made for yes, but uh, if we have to recycle something after its initial use, we've taken out the strength of it. We've taken out the the main resource of it, and we can try to make it into something else. But we're leaving less behind from when we decide to use something through whatever technology, be it fire or fiber optics. Well, a perfect example of this would be fossil fuels, uh, in a sense that once you burn it, you don't have it anymore. Now, the Earth continues to produce fossil fuels, but at a very slow speed. Now, that being said, you are burning it, you are destroying it. We have more known res reserves of fossil fuels than we did 100 years ago. So we've been using fossil fuels to power civilization for 100 years, and now we have more of it than before. How is that possible? Well, one thing that happens when a, when, when a price of something increases is that you have more of an incentive to go looking for other deposits. The other thing that happens is that you become much more conscious about how much of it you are using. So today, our cars use much less fuel to get around than they used to. And finally, of course, you come up with substitutes. Substitutes. This is very important. Just because we are using fossil fuels in order to drive our cars today doesn't mean that we'll be using fossil fuels in the future. Of course, cars will be driven uh, by and large by electricity, and electricity will be created maybe from nuclear or maybe from fusion. Another example would be things like, uh, you know, what, the, the most recent thing is people are obsessing about lithium because most of our car batteries nowadays uh, for electric vehicles are produced by lithium ion batteries. But who is to say that we'll be using lithium in 10 or 20 years time? Maybe there will be something, some other compound that we will create that, that will be used in batteries, such as sodium ion, which is just salt. And people are already working on sodium ion batteries as we speak. So the point is that... Um, you you don't really run out of anything because when something becomes expensive enough, people will look for substitutes. And so in that sense, you never run out of anything. We are visiting with Marion Tupi. He is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. The book is called Super Abundance, the story of population growth, innovation, and human flourishing on an infinitely bountiful planet. Uh, let me ask about mobility. And, and here's how I'm going to make uh, sense of the question is we've we've seen the documentaries of people in some places whether it's uh, it's India or whether it's in uh, uh, you know other Eastern European places where where people are packed into very small areas very high rise apartments uh, and the density population density uh, is something that is very very 
uncomfortable at the very least, if not dangerous. It does having is does saying that we have an underpopulation issue require mobility of people, especially those in poverty, to to help solve it. Well, I think that uh, population density really very much depends on how you feel about it on a personal level. Obviously, people don't mind living in New York, which is a very dense area. And people certainly don't mind living in Hong Kong, which is much denser than even New York is. So what is going on, I think, is, is that it, it's very much a personal preference. We've seen we've seen a lot of people leave New York for areas which are much less densely populated in North Carolina and Florida and other places uh, during the COVID pandemic. Um, but I think it's a matter of personal taste. Um, certainly, if you want to have a smaller environmental impact on the world, if you want to have better environment, cramming people into the cities is a good idea because uh, because people who live in the cities have lesser of an impact on, on the environment than people who live in the rural areas. Um, but I think that this will be very much dependent on personal preferences uh, rather than rather than some sort of a government dictate. We are visiting uh, with uh, Marion Tupi, like I said. i got about a minute left or so, Marion. So the solution then is we just simply need to have bigger families or, or how do we address when you say uh, that we need, uh, that if anything, we have an underpopulation problem? I think that people should have as many children as they want, but to the extent, to the extent that they are lowering the number of children they would normally have, to the extent that they are limiting their fecundity because of concerns about uh, about natural resources, about running out of stuff, then, then this book is meant to show the opposite. The, the goal of the book is very limited and very simple. There are a lot of people in the world who are not having babies because they are concerned of humanity running out of stuff. You don't have to be worried about that. We show mathematically with data going back to 1850 that, that stuff is becoming less expensive because every human being comes into the world, not just with an empty stomach, but also with a brain capable of producing new knowledge and new inventions, which make the world a much better place for everybody else. Where do we find the book? The book, uh, you can learn more about the book at superabundance.com, or you can buy it on Amazon or in Walmart, uh, Barnes and Nobles, and anywhere else you like. All right. And look at the Cato Institute for the rest of your work. Uh, Marion, thanks so much. Interesting conversation. Thank you for being on the program. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay. I don't know about you, but I found that really, really uh, interesting. So just look up Super Abundance Book. All right. Thank you for making American Viewpoints part of your weekend. I'm Mike Ferguson, and we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>